Bullies. This is our podcast about politics, culture, and how Christians should respond to those things. Right? Did I get everything? Yeah. And today we are talking about, this is actually a, a listener suggested topic, <laughs> right? That's right. So we do take suggestions and follow through in case you were skeptical. That's right. We, were, we don't get very many, so, you know, send them our way. That's true. We were talking about the RNC, RNC, RNC <laughs> Republican National Committee resolution that included the controversial words of possibly referring to the January 6th riots, possibly referring to the January 6th Select Committee, and uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, former Vice President <laughs> we're we're moving slow tonight, folks. Former Vice <laughs> President Mike Pence's response—that is a tongue twister. Yeah. Uh, to basically, the news cycle has been <laughs> swirling <laughs> with January six reactions. I was running out of batteries. There. <laughs> yeah, let's let's restart Taylor's engine here. All right, I'm booted up again. <laughs> yes. The last week has been a lot of relitigating what didn't didn't happen on January 6th and how Republicans are divided in responding to it. Um, so, yeah, Taylor, <laughs> tell us about your rebooted. I'm rebooted. Ready to go. Ready to go. I'm back from a summer break. <laughs> tell us what the RNC... It was a um, RNC annual meeting. They decided to censure Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger for participating in the January 6th commission, meaning basically kicking them out of the party, saying, like, you're not Republicans anymore. Mm, it's like the closest you can get to that. Right. Without actually saying that. So, yeah, the uh, every what RNC committee member... By voice vote, ratified the resolution. Correct. Yeah. Uh, with a, it has a bunch of whereas statements, and you know, frankly, this is like the the machinery of party, party politics. political. Yeah. yeah. Party if you're po- listening outside the beltway and you're like, "What's the RNC?" This is kind of like the the political machine behind the party. Yes, for Republicans, the Republican National Committee, and. There's, I mean, I was struck by the, you know, the first whereas is like this, or the second one, I think, was, you know, whereas Democrats are intentionally trying to ruin the country, essentially, uh, you know, by it, it implied that or even said that they're causing inflation for the sake of <laughs> destroying the future. Well, or, technically, their policies are causing inflation, but I don't think they're doing it on. Purpose. Are they rubbing their hands? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There's two nefarious. But then towards the bottom of at least that page, there is the um, statement. Do you have it pulled up? Yes. It's worth reading, I think, where it talks about Congresswoman Liz they Cheney say- from Wyoming, Representative Adam Kinzinger from Illinois, right? Yes, it says they chose to join Nancy Pelosi in a Democrat-led persecution of ordinary citizens who engaged in this is the big phrase legitimate political discourse that oh wait no yeah in legitimate political discourse right and then that was on friday 
Yes. That the resolution was passed. So news broke Friday over the weekend. It bled into the new week. Anytime you know that that happens, you know, it's bad. Yeah. Uh, and basically, like, there are kind of two things. One, that they chose to kick two members out of the party for joining this January right. 6th commission. That was kind of one news cycle. And the other news cycle was that they called the January 6th uh, events, whatever you want to call them, um, some people call them insurrections. Some people call it riot. You know, those words have a lot of meaning. Right. Um, let's just call it a riot on for the sake of yeah. I'm in the more the riot camp. Um, legitimate political discourse. But then the RNC tried to walk back or clarify, walk back, clarify, depending on your perspective, <laughs> the meaning of that phrase. Basically, I think. Interpreting what uh, Ronna McDaniel, the RNC chairwoman, is saying is they intended it to mean that she condemned the violence on January 6th and said this was intended to mean the January 6th select committee going after people who supposedly weren't involved in January 6th, so subpoenaing them. People who, yeah, were not at the Capitol. Right. So accusing the January 6th select committee... Cheney and Kinsinger included of like basically going up beyond their purview. Right. And kind of like a, a witch hunt against all Trump supporting Republican or a lot, many Trump supporting Republicans who weren't actually physically present at the Capitol. Right. And she says that the media, you know, purposefully is trying to smear her. Um, you know, she has condemned the violence in tweets and statements before and so you know obviously she couldn't have meant that um in the wording right and i i i mean this i mean january as we all know january 6th it, first of all it feels like it was a million years ago <laughs> only but a also year just ago yesterday. yeah but it was just it was a year ago but it feels like just yesterday and like it's we're still bringing it up and like we should still i'm it should be investigated i think there are plenty of blame to go around what are the capitol police doing what were their federal agencies doing uh there wasn't you know preparation what you know the, the people who showed up you know with some of the was the oath keepers who had like a go team with weapons in a hotel in arlington like uh people did not show up with some people did not show up with good intent i think there were people there who, who but like all of this has to be unpacked and i think that is <laughs> worth doing but then at the same time, it's just uh, we don't seem to be, be getting anywhere, it feels like. Right, because it's become so red team, blue team, right? Yep. It, it felt like... It's like a Rorschach test. The couple days, weeks, short weeks, not even that long after, maybe there was that sentiment. And then it quickly became this kind of politi political cudgel. Yep. <laughs> uh Right where, you know, to a point, um, Ronna McDaniel, RNC, has a point that Nancy Pelosi politicized this committee and is going a little further with it, um, you know, to try to, for, you know, electoral political purposes, sure. But then on the other side, you could say, well, what are Republicans doing to investigate this? Mm -hmm. um, right. And so, well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about the statement. They could have been clear there. Exactly. And, and that's my weren't. thing is, 
with something as sensitive as this, yeah, just saying it's legitimate political discourse without clarifying that what are you talking people about? who were not <laughs> violent at the Capitol, it's legitimate political discourse. Like that, that seems a pretty obvious and important distinction. Yeah, to me. I think that's the argument for kind of the the quote mainstream media take. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's something so obvious and blatant. It, it, it'd be like referring to, I don't know, I can't think of a good analogy, but... I just can't imagine, like, how that could be an oversight. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Like, there's a, a quick and easy way to have not gotten in this situation, and they didn't do that from either uh, oversight, mistake, <laughs> uh, or they maybe meant what, you know, is being implied here, so... Yeah. Right. So then what was, uh, you know, continuing on this, this saga, you know, like uh, sen- multiple senators in Senate leadership, Republican leadership, uh, you know, Mitch McConnell, of course, uh, condemned and called it a, an insurrection. Right. He, uh, did. he used that word. You know, uh, calling out the RNC for even, you know, having going through this exercise of censuring members of the party. You know, he... And then uh, uh, Senator John Thune, who's number three Senate leadership. Yes. Number two. I think number two, actually. No, Cornyn's number two. Oh, okay. Uh, Cornyn, but he also condemned it. Right. uh, Breaking with RNC and, you know. So I think House Republicans are pretty quiet. House Republicans are pretty quiet, yeah. But Yeah. So that was in the follow-up. And, uh, you know, I was was listening to analysts talk about this, and it's... it's, uh, you know, they pointed to the fact that, you know, the Republican Republicans are trying to put the whole thing behind them. But right. by releasing this resolution to do that, they uh, dredged it all up. Yep. And we, here we are talking about it for a full week. Right. 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 <laughs> well over a year after the events happened. Yeah. Uh, so. F, and, F for <laughs> yeah. that effort. That was not a good. Uh, that was a media blowback. Yep. Um, <laughs> and then at the same time, I think I saw, it was maybe a few hours before it was the same day um vice former vice president pence was giving a speech mm. at the at federalist society the same day on the last friday last friday okay. yeah um giving a speech federalist society event in florida for, uh, for those who don't know federalist society is kind of like conservative legal the greatest conservative legal minds getting together um and in his speech he started out saying this week president trump said i had the right to overturn the election but president trump is wrong i had no right to overturn the election he goes on to say that it's un-american to suggest that one person could could decide the outcome of the election um and in this speech he warns conservatives that you know continuing to insist that a vice president can alter the election is problematic and under the constitution the vice president does not have the right to do this. You know, the next election, Kamala Harris does not have the right to do this. Um, and he spoke pretty forcefully and strongly in this speech because um, former President Trump had issued two statements, which maybe people didn't see because he's not on Twitter anymore. <laughs> so to be signed up for the email list, I guess, and checking his website. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, the media covers it yes, all pretty yes. well. Um, it's just like the early aughts. <laughs> right. Um, but President Trump had 
issued two statements. One, he said back in January 30th, he called Pence by name and he um, was referring to right now the Senate is kind of going through bipartisan negotiations on the process for certifying electoral college votes. Mm -hmm. Um, Yep. And kind of in response to these Senate discussions, President Trump says, see, they're, you know, they're working on this. So that means Pence did have the authority to overturn the election um, and that it does allow a vice president to change the results of election. And then two days later, he again goes after Trump in another statement and President, former President Trump um, attacked the select committee on January 6th and slipped in there again that Pence could have rejected the counting and sent the votes back to the states and avoided everything. So again, is kind of blaming his former vice president, in mm-hmm. which we know, um, you know, looking back at what happened, that some of the people who... Um, broke into the Capitol, you know, were saying they wanted to hang the vice president and that his life was threatened and it was a very dangerous moment for him. Yep. And what I found interesting is the, there's a, the fight is over the word presides. Hmm. I think it's the electoral count act that they're updating. So the rules say the vice president presides over the vote electoral college, uh, vote, certification in congress and that's the word you know presides it's unclear what exactly that means technically i mean there's you know presumption and i think were this to actually go to court i do not think the trump uh argument would hold up that you know (laughs) that the word presides gives the vice president the power to say uh you know overturn it or say it's you know not valid what have you uh it's like presiding the vice president presides in the senate mm-hmm. uh president of the senate technically and right but so anyway i think that's i just found that interesting like that's the clarification mm-hmm. that they uh, they're seeking to make in this update to the law um because and, and that's happened throughout history too about um i was listening to an expert talk about this issue um after the, i think it was the 1876 election uh, which is contentious, the last, probably like the most recent contentious ex- election akin to what we've experienced now. Uh, it was unclear, you know, what happens if the president dies? Hmm. Uh, I don't know if it's connected to that, but anyway, I'm, again, low batteries here. Uh, <laughs> it's unclear, like, what would happen if the president-elect died before uh, being sworn into office and they had to clarify that so there's all these like gray areas and like Mm. processes you know that we kind of discover as history time progresses right and i think Hmm. you know ascribing nefarious means to or nefarious intention with this electoral count act update is uh it may be ignoring the fact that yeah we we don't have everything nailed on the front end Mm. but sometimes we do encounter places where there is disagreement and it's worth clarifying in statute what presides yes (laughs) like they're going to be very clear about that like uh right right yeah I, i think i think it seems perfectly logical after what happened right to clarify yep in yeah. What presides means. Exactly. <laughs> and I, I think, I mean, if all of us stepped back, nobody would want the vice president to have the power to overturn election results, right? If it's going to count the 
electoral votes, um, that would that would be problematic. Right. Um. Um. So this, you know, kind of relitigating what happened and all of that, you know, it's not, it is not behind us. Um, nope. And so Taylor, the tough question, what should Christians or how should Christians, I should say, think about this? How should Christians think about this? I think Christians should be committed to taking, doing <laughs> their very, 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 very best to take off partisan, their partisan glasses with events like this and looking at primary sources. What did the resolution document say? Mm. What does the law say? You know, as best, like, really, I think giving a good faith effort, what actually happened on the, on the day of January 6th. Uh, and I think, you know, it, to me that connects with the Christian witness belief in scripture, the death and resurrection of Christ that's happened in history. Uh, the gospels, the new Testament letters are clear about the, the connection between fact and, you know, spiritual reality. Mm. And I think there's this commitment to truth that we are encouraged to seek yes. as Christians. And I mean, so I guess for me that, that, you know, I, I, when I first heard this news about the RNC resolution, I was like, holy cow, it's, it's so on the, on the nose, like clear that they're just off the rails. Uh, you first heard about it by reading it in a mainstream news. Yes. Like I saw a headline and then preparing for this podcast was like, oh, well, it's a little fuzzier. Right. Um, The resolution itself, I think the January 6th events are less fuzzy in terms of, uh, you know, the facts of the matter, but the resolution and the interpretations and, and such. So I, and I think it's okay to kind of rest in that for a a bit. uh, And then, you know, be willing to be corrected at the same time. We'll link to the primary sources in our uh, email that goes out. um, So you can also read for yourself. Yeah. I think that what you hit about, Christians, you know, why take off your partisan glasses? Why um, look at primary sources to get to the truth on this? It's because truth is important, mm-hmm. um, right? It's uh, we we know people talk to people that actually the January six events have shaken their w- worldview let's say Mm -hmm. because you know something like this they say well you know 10 different people of 10 different political persuasions look at january 6th and they see something completely different and truth appears completely relative and i think they would they would agree with everything i and you have just said about christian's approach but land in the, the opposite camp or the opposite conclusion with the events of January 6th or the statement and the resolution. So Right, right, right. <laughs> I don't want to, it's not like it's, you know, super cut and dry and I think it's The pursuit all, of truth is not easy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exa- that's a good word. It's not easy or a good phrase. Um and it's but it's I think it's worth unpacking. But it, for I guess for me it, it kind of takes what is going like what is going on in my own perception of this this case. Am I do have proclivities to look at it one way or the other. Mm-hmm. 
I think that's what I guess would challenge you to do, <laughs> dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But, you know, let's be honest for all of us that gets hard when you're tired, you have kids, you have a job, all of that. Um, so, you know, it's it's hard for us not to just yeah go to your news sources and, you know, get the, the sound bites for the day. Yep. So. And uh, I guess we, like we said last time, it's okay to say, I don't really know. Yep. <laughs> about some things. Yep. Yeah. All right. On to a lighter topic, stinkers and thinkers. Uh, you go first with yours. <laughs> with my, okay. You want me to hit both of them? Please. Okay. Um, my stinker is my girly guilty pleasure TV show lately has been HBO show called Love Life season two. Hmm. I really liked season one. It was, and it's a show, I think, produced by Anna Kendrick. Season one starred her and it was very good. It's kind of, it follows one person's, you know, pursuit of finding the one uh, through their 20s and 30s and the travails each episode is like a different person that they dated and and Hmm. you're wondering who they end up marrying in the end that kind of like tease it out through each episode and I thought the first season was clever and fun second season just kind of been dragging and it's a little more depressing and um Hmm. yeah then it's not been as great as okay I had hoped bummer um and then my my thinker is the tv or not tv show the movie that we watched i think last weekend i don't even know what days are anymore um (laughs) but movie on i think it was netflix munich the edge of war oh yeah Um, that was a recommendation from another listener yes it was (laughs) (laughs) it was indeed a dear listener (laughs) and it was very good it was um, kind of about what would or would have happened had Neville Chamberlain uh, kind of acted on different intelligence with uh, first talks with Hitler uh, when it came to what to do about the Sudetenland, kind of uh, preceding the buildup mm. to World War II and just uh, made you think about, well, what if things had been handled differently Ooh. or you know, how the world perceived what could be done about Hitler at the time. And for me, I thought it was very timely because it's kind of like how, I mean, I don't think Putin is as bad as Hitler, but Putin is pretty darn bad yes. <laughs> and an egregious authoritarian as well. Um, and it's kind of how different world leaders are approaching him. You know, can hmm. we... Uh, accomplish peace in our time (laughs) with him or do you need to have a show of strength it's kind of the uh neville chamberlain versus then how churchill handled uh hitler and that movie exposed me to a new theory i'm sure there you know the scholarship on uh, the lead up to world war ii there's multiple journal articles about this (laughs) i'm just not in it but the you know Typical Neville Chamberlain is like, oh, how did he not see Hitler as this terrible guy? And he like made peace with him. And you know, there's a famous photo of him returning, blah blah blah. And this film kind of cast him as like a you know chess master, of, like foreign policy, right? Like 
oh, I'm just going to pretend like I know that it's peace, even though I've, I think there's going to be peace, even though I really know he's, uh, he's insane and will invade. And this will pull everyone in, everyone in Europe and the world together to kind of see him for who he is mm-hmm. when he, you know, breaks, the, breaks, yeah, breaks his promise, breaks his promise. And like he, I, I didn't really heard that. Theory. He got him on the record, you know, yeah. it's, 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 it's a pro Neville. Yes. Chamberlain film. Yeah. So yeah, it was it was very good. My Taylor, what are yours? my thinker is the new book by Tony Reinke, uh, God, Technology, and the Christian Life. I've been waiting for this book for at least eight years, maybe even longer. Uh, I read and try and be aware of every Christian book <laughs> that uh, looks at the question of technology and society personal life i've read um, half a dozen at least maybe 10 and nothing every almost every one of them was on the spectrum of like mild to pessimistic depressing Mm -hmm. and i yet to read one that's like hopeful optimistic i think fit with my view on technology and this was it wow this is the book (laughs) thank you tony runke if you're out there uh, he's the host of the Desiring God Ask Pastor John podcast. Oh. He wrote a book uh, in 2017, 12 Ways Your Smartphone is Changing You, I think is the title, hmm. which I'd read and was, it was kind of in that like middling hmm. ground. But like this book, he's very like, he's like, I almost titled this book a Christian, op- uh, what was it? The, uh, Christian Optimist Case for Technology or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yes, this is... <laughs> This is it. You're waiting for it. And it it does an excellent job of, I think, treating technology in the context of God's sovereignty Mm. and uh, not uh, looking at technology as this force that we have to reckon with Mm. and that, you know, if we're not careful, we're just going to become the Borg. And uh, I mean, if someone asks, were to ask me what, you know, I want to read one book on you know, Christianity, theology of technology. I would say read this one. Oh, wow. High praise. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, it just, it's, it's a breath of fresh air. It's, uh, it takes into account all the, all the evidence and case, uh, you know, case studies and. Hmm. Um, it's good. So <laughs> uh, my stinker, I mean, this week in my world, technology policy, it's been, <laughs> Speaking of technology pessimism. Yeah. Uh, this paper by the Heritage Foundation uh, that came out on Monday. Uh, I mean, there's just, I, <laughs> it's like where to start. Uh, there's just a lot wrong in it. And well, it, the title of basically, what is it called? Total, it says Big Tech is Totalitarian. Yeah. It's just like an egregious overuse of that word. Right. <laughs> right. And, the you know my (laughs) my short critique of it is it claims that big tech big government are getting too close so therefore we need more big government to take care of big tech which (laughs) i don't see how that ends up helping right their goals in the end that is my short and sweet yeah it's just it's a little disappointing because it's um Usually the Heritage Foundation does not advocate for 
the fix to a, a problem being more government regulation and power in the hands of government. So it is, it's just a bit surprising. It is, it is. I'd recommend reading the Cato Institute rebuttal and response. So I think we covered a lot. Yes. Sorry for my <laughs> drain batteries. We didn't get a lot of it's sleep a last week, night. Folks. But we wanted to show up and talk about this important topic. That's right. Thanks for listening. Well, let us know what we should talk about next now that you know we listen to reader submissions. That's right. (laughs) Yours could be next.